Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and though the commandment put me to death, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognised as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Well, if you do have a Bible, keep it open, Um, but as usual, everything I say and all the the references I make to that passage 
uh, will be on the screen for you to see as well. Uh, Maybe that passage sounded a wee bit complicated as you heard it for the first time. Um, We're going to find that actually it's not at all. Um, But we'll pray, shall we, just now, that God would speak clearly to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. Father, we thank you for this letter written so long ago to the church in Rome. And we pray that today you would speak clearly through it to us, um, the church here in Burghead. We pray that we might know ourselves and know you better. We pray that we might take more delight in Jesus and all he's done for us because of all we're about to hear from this passage. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I think perhaps it is the ultimate form of advertising. It grabs your attention. It hooks you in. It plays on your deepest insecurities. It makes you want to buy the product in the advert. I am talking, of course, about before and after campaigns. They are usually accompanied by uh, two images. Here's Derek, before and after. Um, Here's Derek. He got beach body ready by losing five stone in three weeks while still eating pizza, all because he bought our miracle product. Now, a lot of the time, these campaigns are a lot of nonsense. Um, The the second shot, the the after photo, uh, Derek hasn't usually spent three weeks in the gym. He's just spent three hours in Photoshop to be airbrushed to within an inch of his life. But not all change is fake. Some change is dead real. And so far in this book of Romans, we have seen the greatest transformation of all. And Paul, the author, has explained the gospel to us, the good news of Jesus that changes lives. And he's shown the difference that that makes, the radical difference to our lives. He's done that by showing us the serious need we have for that change. And all of us, he said, are born into the line of Adam. We've inherited the sinfulness of our first parents. And left to our own devices, we are, in that sense, godless. And despite the fact that the evidence for God is all around us in the world that God has made, we have a tendency to suppress the inconvenient truth that God is real because we want to run things ourselves. And Paul has said that if nothing can be done about this predicament, there will come a day where we will stand before the courtroom of God, silent, with nothing we can do or say to justify ourselves on the wrong side of God's judgment. Unrighteous, as Romans puts it. And we've seen as well, if you've followed along with us, that that God's law can't help us. Um, The the law of God, that the heart of which is really summed up in the Ten Commandments, it, it can't help us because whilst a law shows you what is right, it doesn't help you to do what is right. And so in our case, the law really just serves to further expose our sin. But Paul has gone on to explain the good and glorious news that God himself, the only one who could help, has indeed acted to help, to rescue us. And a righteousness from God, he said, has appeared. And we call that God's right way for us to be right with him. 
We can be made right because at the cross of Jesus, a great exchange, a swap occurs. He takes our sin on the cross and the punishment it deserves. And in exchange, he gives us his perfect righteousness. So God's wrath is turned away from us. So though we don't deserve it and we could not earn it, we can be free and forgiven and children of God, washed of our sin and adopted into God's family. And so having explained all that, Paul then begins to work out all of the implications. What does it mean then to to live as a Christian? He's been unpicking various arguments and objections that, that others might make to this gospel as well. And today, the issue that he gets to has to do with the law of God given to us in in the Bible. How do we, as Christians, relate to the law of God? Now, you might say that sounds a little bit complicated and, frankly, quite dull. Um, But actually, it is relatively simple, and this is so relevant. It is a huge issue in our Christian lives. What do we do with the law of God? So three headings to to tackle this chapter. Here's the first. We are under new management. Now, remember, God's law couldn't rescue us. It couldn't change us. It couldn't erase our sin. In fact, it only served to highlight our sin. So what did the process of becoming a Christian do to our relationship with this law? Well, this section is actually very simple and helpful. And first, I've called this letter A, Paul lays out a principle. Look at verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? There's the principle. Now you might say, that sounds odd, what do you mean? Well, Paul, this is letter B, gives an example to explain what he means. The example is this, death breaks one relationship but enables another verse two for example by law a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive but if her husband dies she is released from the law that binds her to him so the example is from marriage and and we christians have an extremely high view of marriage and our understanding from the bible is that that is that there are very few circumstances where it is right to divorce and remarry but one of the times that that is okay obviously is when one partner dies then if the remaining partner remarries that they're obviously not breaking the seventh commandment and committing adultery because death sadly broke the first marriage but it enabled the second marriage that's verses two and three Now, you might say, well, okay, but what on earth does that have to do with God's law? Well, Paul now applies that to that very situation. So let us see the application. We are dead to the external law, but married to Jesus. That's verse 4. Have a look. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Paul says it's like this. It's as if you used to be married to the law of God. You were in a relationship with that law. 
But it wasn't a very good relationship because you and I, we could never keep God's law. And in order for us to to leave the law behind and enter a new relationship with God, well, a death had to occur. Who died? Well, you did. It's verse 4. You died to the law. Now, you might say, what do you mean? I haven't died. Paul is saying those who belong to Jesus, and that's you if you're a Christian, when Jesus died to pay for your sin, the debt that you owed to God and to his law, in a sense, you also died. And the change that Jesus brings in your life is so complete that that it's as if you have died completely to that old way of life. You've died to the way of life where the law was your husband or your master. The law is no longer your husband or your master. You have a new master. And it's as if instead you're married to Jesus. Having said that, don't think just because the law is no longer our master, we are just free to to behave and to do anything we want and just say, it's fine, God's grace will always cover me. No, Paul explains that next. That's letter D, the consequences. So we belong to Jesus, end of verse 4, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So like a good tree grows good fruit, those who now have their roots planted in Jesus will now grow good works of various kinds. Or, as Paul puts it in the middle of verse 6, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Think of it this way. When a child from perhaps a very broken family is adopted into a loving family, gradually, and, and often with difficulty and pain, the child will begin to take on the new family likeness to adopt the the behaviors and the standards of this new loving family and it's just like that with us our old life under the law is over we have a new family and a new relationship a loving new master Jesus and we will and we must take on his family likeness now we must be conformed to, to his pattern But, having said all of that, um, there are two big objections that we might raise at this point. And Paul has got to clear these up, otherwise his whole argument may fall apart. So, objection one is this. Is Paul saying that God's law is bad? Objection two is this. If this is all true... Why do I, as a Christian, still struggle with sin? Paul's got to answer those questions. So here's the first. Are you saying God's law is bad? It does kind of feel like Paul has said some pretty negative things, right, about God's moral law. He said that our relationship with God's law was so bad that we had to die to it. He said that our relationship with God's law was was like a bad marriage we had to leave. Sounds kind of negative, right? 
Is Paul saying that, that this law that God has given us is bad? And if he is, that is pretty serious. Because if God made a, a bad or a sinful law, well, what does that say about God? A God who makes a bad law is not a good God. And so suddenly everything might fall apart. And so that's exactly the question Paul anticipates and answers. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. No, he says God's moral law is good. A good God made a perfect law. So you might ask, well, okay, but why do things then end so badly when I'm under God's law? Well, when we live under God's law, there are two things that happen. Letter E now. God's law exposes my sin. We've seen this before in Romans, but Paul says it again, verse 7 again. I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Now, yeah, God gives us a, a sense of conscience in life, but when he gives us a specific written law that goes into much more detail about right and wrong, well, well then it really serves to highlight our sin more. Maybe you've seen uh, those pretty disgusting TV programs where they go into hotel rooms with an ultraviolet light, right, and shine it all around to show you all of the hidden dirt and grime and stains that are there. It's as if God's law does that to our lives. It, it just serves to show up our sin all the more. So the law exposes my sin, but more than that, next, my sin exploits God's law. Now, I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. The best example of this is a toddler. And I am very familiar with them, so I can speak with some, with some authority. Give a toddler a rule, and what is the first thing they want to do? Break the rule. So you say, don't touch that fire. Now, the child may never have thought about touching the fire before, but as soon as you say, don't touch the fire, what's the first thing they want to do? They want to get both hands on the fire. End of verse 7, case in point. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Or well, verse 10 expands the point. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life, these good laws that God gave, actually brought death. Why? Well, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. It's almost as if Paul pictures the sin that, that, that lives in us as a kind of monster which will use whatever it can. It will even exploit God's good commandments and, and use them as an opportunity, even an incentive for sin. So is God's law bad? No, not at all. Quite the opposite. A perfect God made a perfect moral law for us. That's verse 12. And having said all I've said, even though we as Christians, if we follow Jesus, even though we're not under the law, in other words, the law is not the means by which we, we earn our 
our place with God, not at all. But nevertheless, the, the law is still very useful to us. It can be a guide in our lives. It can help us to know God and what he's like and, and how we can live to please him now that we are his forgiven and adopted children. That's how we should think of the law, but there is a world of difference, and this is so important. There is a world of difference between a forgiven, adopted, secure child in the family of God, looking at God's law to to see how they can please God more. There's a world of difference between that and moralism. I reckon most people I speak to on the street basically think Christianity is moralism, and it isn't. Moralism says if you keep this law and if you keep it really well and if you keep it all the time, then maybe, maybe you'll get into God's good books. But Paul's whole point in this whole letter is that moralism is a dead end street. Like a bad marriage, it will not lead you anywhere good. Don't think for a moment that the message of this passage is go away today and try and do better. It isn't. Having said all that, there is still one final objection to wrestle with. And this one gets very personal now. So here's point number three. Why do I still struggle with sin? So Paul has said that if we're Christians, we're not under the law anymore. Paul said we have a new marriage now, if you like. We have a new master, Jesus, and a new place in the family of God. He said that we have completely died to that old way of life. He said we even now have God's own Holy Spirit living inside us. So having heard all of that, you might very well say, okay then, so why? Why, why, why do I still struggle with sin? You know, as a Christian, I'm, I'm this new creation. I have new life in Jesus. I have a new master, a new status. And yet, when I'm honest about myself, I see there's still a lot of sin that lingers in my life. And so maybe you wonder, maybe God's plan hasn't worked after all. Or maybe this isn't true after all, because sometimes, frankly, I don't feel very changed. And I still struggle with the same things. Well, Paul addresses exactly that question now, very personally, from his own experience. Although I guess he could be speaking for any of us. Look at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual. It's good. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I could read more and more. He goes on, verse 16. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. In other words, as a Christian, he knows deep within him that God's law is good. And he does, deep within him, want to live to please God. But within Paul now, and within you and I now, if we're Christians, is this conflict, this battle. I still find myself doing what I know to be wrong. 
That is the wrestle. That's the struggle. And sometimes, if you're like me, you despair that you haven't changed more. And you can hear all of that pouring out of Paul in these 10 verses here as well. Paul wants to tell you clearly why you still struggle. See, although we have died to our old way of life, although we do belong to Jesus now, there is still this sin that lives in us. And until Jesus returns or we physically die to go and be with him, until we're made perfect in heaven, that struggle will continue. We all recognize it, don't we? Maybe it's a relief to hear that Paul struggled just as you do. And so as we close, I think there's an important question that Christians will often ask when they are struggling with sin like this. We often ask this question. Am I a Christian who's struggling with sin? Or does my sin mean I'm not really a Christian at all? I reckon if you are a Christian, you have asked that question in your own mind. Well, from what Paul says here, here are a few signs to watch out for that will answer that question for you. You can know that you are a Christian if you want to follow God and not sin, number one. However much Paul struggles here, you do get the the sense that his greatest desire is to leave sin behind and obey Jesus. And if that is your great desire, then take heart. If, to be honest, you're pretty happy and comfortable in your sin, well, be warned. Number two, you can know you're a Christian if there is a struggle to follow God and not your sin. If there is that struggle, if there is that wrestling and trying and wanting to do this right and follow Jesus, then again, take heart, because that's a sign of God's spirit at work within you. If there is a conflict, take heart. If there is no struggle within you against sin, then be warned. Number three, you can know you're you're a Christian if you have a humble view of yourself. If you are honest with yourself and maybe with some appropriate others about how wretched a sinner you still are, then take heart. Paul himself says, what a wretched man I am, verse 24. If, on the other hand, you are pretty proud of your moral record, then be warned Remember the proverb that says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Number four, take heart that you are a Christian if you look to Jesus repeatedly for forgiveness. Christian people should find themselves repeatedly going to Jesus, asking for his forgiveness and receiving it. Paul says again, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. On the other hand, if, like President Trump, you claim to be a Christian, but asking for forgiveness is not really in your repertoire, well, be warned. Finally, number five. 
Take heart that you are a Christian if you long for the day when the struggle will be over. Jesus will deliver you from this struggle. He delivers us now in in the sense that his grace is sufficient to cover our sin, but he will deliver us on the last day when we're with him forever in his heavenly kingdom because on that day sin will be finally and fully booted out of your life. We will be made perfect and we should long for that day. You should long for the day when you're just done with sin. And if you do, again, take heart. And until then, keep struggling. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious chapter in your word. Lord, how we thank you that in Jesus We have died to our old way of life. How we thank you that in Jesus we are no longer under the law, trying by our own efforts to please you and yet knowing we can't. Thank you that Jesus has gone to the cross for us and paid for our sin and given us his righteousness. Lord, thank you that that is a free gift for us. We pray for any here today or listening online who have yet to accept that gift. Lord, we pray that today would be the day when they will receive the forgiveness and new life that Jesus freely offers. And we pray, Lord, that you would work in us all by your spirit, giving us your help uh, to put sin to bed more and more and more and more to follow Jesus, to keep on that struggle. Lord, help us to long for the day when we will indeed be done with sin forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.